Good morning, beloved. So good to be with you to share in God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. And as you turn there, let me remind you why we're doing this series in the Gospel of Mark. It's because this is one of the places where we get to take a long look at Jesus, to take a, a hard look at who he is and what he's like, to discover more about what Mark means when he calls Jesus the Son of God. This gospel is showing us in moving imagery um, what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God and, 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 and how it is that we can know him and follow him as not only the Son of God, but our personal Savior, our friend, our Redeemer. And that's my hope this morning as we come to this gospel is that we would get to know Jesus better even if it's a little bit better, we would get to know him better because the better we know him, um, the better able we'll be to serve him, the better able we'll be to praise him, the better able we'll be to live this life with him. One of the things we're going to discover as we look in Mark's gospel this morning is that Jesus is our provider. That's, that's one of the things we need to know about him. He is a, a provider. And we're going to see that several ways in our text this morning. But here's the, here's the main thought I want you to hold on to. So if you get nothing else from the sermon, I'm trying to sort of push the main thought into these one or two sentences, and it's this. All of our lesser needs are met in our greatest need. All of our lesser needs are met in our greatest need, which is the need to know Jesus as our Savior. We get Jesus we get everything because he is our provider. Now in our text, we're going to go through three famous scenes in the gospel accounts. The first scene, Jesus is going to miraculously feed 5,000 people. That's in verses 30 to 44. In the second famous scene, Jesus walks on water and calms a storm. That's in verses 45 to 52. And the third famous scene, Jesus will heal people who, who just touch the hem of his garment, verses 53 to 56. Now, I want to outline those three sections this way. Number one, Jesus provides, remember that's his main point, he's our provider. Jesus provides in desolate wilderness places. That's what we see in verses 30 to 44. Number two, Jesus provides in dangerous, watery places. That's what we see in verses 45 and 52. And number three, Jesus provides wherever he is and wherever there is need. Verses 53 to 56, wherever he is and wherever there is need. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. 
send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Jesus is our provider. First thing we see is that Jesus provides in the desolate wilderness places. Verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now remember, back in verse 7, Jesus had sent them on a short-term uh, mission. He was training them, so he sent them two by two, told them, don't take any clothes, don't take any money, uh, just wear the sandals you have, and, and go and preach the gospel. Now, Mark, as he's telling us that, interrupts that story, you'll remember, to tell us about John the Baptist and John speaking truth to Herod and how John lost his life as a prophet. So now Mark is circling back to the story that he began about the apostles being sent out two by two. They come back to Jesus in verse 30, and they tell Jesus what they have done. Now notice, Jesus sees their need. The first thing that Jesus provides them in this text is rest. Look there in verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Why? Well, you can see that. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So the Lord tells them to, to come away to a desolate place. Now you remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, after a season of busy ministry, Jesus himself left the crowds, tiptoed out before the sun um, came up, and went out to a desolate place himself to pray. 
Now he's teaching his disciples that same rhythm. This is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus, to have our lives patterned uh, after Jesus' life and Jesus' example. We retreat in order to rest. Now I'll point out a couple things for you here. Jesus does not believe that ministry is 24-7. He doesn't believe that ministry is 24-7. People often tell me that. They mean it respectfully. They're like, I couldn't be a pastor. You guys are, are always on. It's 24-7. But I correct them real quick. No, son. 24-7 is a recipe for death. Can nobody live like that as a human being? Jesus didn't even do it. See, sometimes faithfulness requires a nap, beloved. It requires a retreat. It requires going to the wilderness places. And here's the other thing that we learn. Jesus knows the limitations of being embodied creatures. See, to people in a body, flesh and blood human beings, rest is vital. Rest is how we resist the oppression of urgency. It's how we resist the oppression of busyness. Rest is self-care before we do others' care. Rest is how we remind ourselves that we are not God. For God neither slumbers nor sleeps, but we need to sleep. We need rest. And Jesus provides it. That's the first thing we see him providing here. Now, let's bring this home. Because some of y'all are skipping lunch to be with the crowds. Some of y'all are eating lunch at your desk every day and working uh, through your lunch rather than taking a break. And then some of y'all are taking work home. Some of you are losing vacation days because you can't seem to stop working and to get away for rest. I just want you to see that Jesus does not expect or applaud that kind of life of always working, always being restless. Overwork is often faithlessness instead of faithfulness. And some of you are moms, and some of you mothers will not rest. You won't take a nap even though your body cries out for it. You, you won't allow your spouse to help with the kids because they don't do it right. Uh, you, you won't teach your kids personal responsibility and independence that, that will allow you to get some rest. You have to do everything for them. One reason some of you are like that is because your identity is wrapped up in that motherhood activity. So you skip Jesus' invitation to provide you rest in order to meet the ego needs you get from that activity and that work. You are not living like Mary, but like Martha. So we out here like the Energizer Bunny. We keep going and going and going, but Jesus is like, sit down somewhere and rest. And that's grace, beloved. A gracious Savior gives downtime to his people. If, if we don't have rest in our schedules and we are not embracing our embodiment like we are supposed to, or even embracing the grace of God who calls us to relax from our labors. We need to rest and Jesus provides it. Grace looks like rest, beloved. Now, no sooner than the disciples get to a desolate place, 
people see them and come running after them. In fact, they beat them there, verse 33 and 34. Notice the heart of Jesus, though, in verse 34. The Bible says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. To those wandering around without leadership, without protection, Jesus, number two, provides compassion. To those hurting and in need of healing, Jesus provides compassion. To those who go unseen and unrecognized in the world, Jesus sees them and provides to them compassion. Now, the specific form of, com of compassion that Jesus provides here in this text is teaching. He sees them running around like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord decides to shepherd them himself. And the first and main way that Jesus shepherds others, notice, is by beginning to teach them many things. There at the end of verse 34. Now, as a provider, Jesus provides us what we most need. What we need most is the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, a lost person can't find their way back to God with some new clothes or a hot meal. That won't get them to heaven. A, 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 a lost person, a lost sheep, uh, will only find their way back to God by hearing the word of God. Jesus provides us God's word. In fact, Jesus is God's word. He is the Logos, made flesh. And the way Jesus shepherds is, is through the teaching of God's word. Now, it's good for us, beloved, to come to Jesus for our many needs. As we'll see in just a moment, uh, he, he provides for many other things as well. So this is not to downplay that. It's good for us to come to Jesus with our many needs. But we ought to realize that our most basic and most fundamental need, our most important need, is to have the Lord teach us. Indeed, that's what's promised in, in, in Ezekiel, in the promise of the new covenant, is that God himself will teach us. And that's what we see Jesus doing right here. And that's why teaching and preaching are the bedrock of faithful Christian ministry. It's not the only thing, but it is the most fundamental thing. The gospel is of first importance, and we can't take what's of first importance and make it second or third or fourth. Not if we're compassionate like Jesus, and not if Jesus is providing his compassion to us in this way. So let me ask you a couple questions. When we pray to God and seek him for provision to provide for us, how often do we ask him, to provide us his word and to provide us understanding of his word. I mean, the proverb says, you know, with all of your getting, get understanding. Do we even pray for that? A second question, is it possible, is it possible that you and I are mistaken about what our greatest need is? Because if we think our greatest need is something other than the word of God, we we are indeed mistaken. And, and is it possible we are mistaken about what Jesus' compassion looks like? So we are like lost sheep. We are hurting. We are wandering. We, we know and feel our need for many things. And, and yet what keeps being offered to us is the word of God. And we're like, no, no, I, okay, yeah, that's fine, but I need this. And so we think 
that God's not being compassionate to us because we don't see access to God's word as a tremendous gift of compassion and grace. Is that possible? So we need to turn to recognize what's most necessary, and that is, beloved, God's word. It gives us life. Now, the third thing that Jesus provides in the wilderness desolate places is found, it is food for the hungry. That's what we see in verses 35 and 40. Now, the thing about a desolate place is that a desolate place does not produce food. The disciples recognize this. This is why in verse 35 and 36, they want Jesus to send the people away to the surrounding towns to go out and fend for themselves to get something to eat. They don't have much food with them, and there's no food growing around them, so send the people away. <laughs> but don't be trying to tell Jesus how to feed his people. He is the Lord. The disciples, now they're the students, they come to the master and try and give him an instruction about how to provide for people. So Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, in verse 37. The, the apostles, again, want the people to take care of themselves, but Jesus places the responsibility, notice now, for providing the food needs of the people on the shoulders of his apostles, of his disciples. So keep that in mind. In verse 37, the disciples are basically saying, look, we, we don't have that kind of money to feed all these people. Then Jesus begins showing them a vital lesson of the Christian faith. And it's, it's this, the satisfaction of all of our needs and the source of all of our resources come not from ourselves, but from Jesus. The satisfaction of all of our needs and the source of that satisfaction, the source of all of our needs, that doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. That's what he wants to teach them. Jesus will provide for his people. Jesus will take the responsibility of caring for his followers. And we disciples need to see him and recognize him as the provider that he is. That's why he goes to this little exchange in verses 37 and 38. The disciples go out. They, they try to see how much they have. They come back and all they can muster up is, is, is a few loaves of bread and, and a couple of fish. Now, that, that might be enough for, for two grown men, but it's not going to feed the 5,000 people, uh, men, that, that verse 40, 44 refers to. Now, that's just the men. That's not including women and children. So this could be upwards of twelve or 15,000 people. Five loaves of bread and two fish ain't going to cut it. Notice what Jesus does. He takes the bread, he takes the fish, he breaks the bread, he blesses it, gives it to his disciples, having sat the people down in groups of 100 and, and, and groups of 50, and the disciples go out with those 12 baskets, handing out fish, handing out bread. First they feed 50, then they feed 100, then they feed another 150, and they keep on, and the more they give out, the more that's in the basket. Until they fed 5,000 hungry people who've been out in the desolate places all day. Verse 43 says, They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. How many apostles were there? 12. How many full baskets were left over? 12. Jesus was showing them that he has the power to provide for them even in the wilderness, desolate places. 
where there's almost nothing. It's the Lord who provides. And notice, by asking the apostles to feed the people and leaving the apostles holding 12 baskets of leftovers, I think Jesus is suggesting to the church that the church ought to be caring for the food needs of our neighbors in the power and supply of Christ. We ought to, in other words, have enough faith in Christ, our provider, that we will meet the needs of other people around us. This is why, beloved, we have a, a food security, PSA team. PSA stands for Prayer Study Act. We, we pray because we do not do this in our own strength. We, we pray because we are turning to God as our provider. We study and act because we have neighbors that we want to care for, neighbors that we want to encourage and, 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 and supply for in the name of Christ. Jesus Christ is not done having compassion on the lost sheep of the world. He ain't done. He's left a basket in our hands out of which we are meant to both eat and share in faith that he will continue to provide because Jesus is our provider. So we do not have to be afraid of following Jesus into desolate places. Those places will be where we find rest and fellowship with him. In the desolate places will be where we see Jesus' compassion most fully on display. And it's in the desolate places that the, the physical needs we have, like food, will be provided by our Lord as we turn to him in trust. So Jesus provides in the desolate wilderness places. But also, point number two, Jesus provides in the dangerous watery places. It's not just the desolate places and the wilderness. It's also the watery places and, and in danger that our Lord provides for us. The, the geography moves from the wilderness in those first 14 verses to, in verse 45, the water. What was supposed to be a retreat in the desolate wilderness gets interrupted by all those people, so Jesus sends his disciples away to cross over to Bethsaida. He dismisses the crowd, and, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And while the Lord is on the mountain praying, while he's on the land, the disciples are in the boat struggling against the wind and the waves. Verse 48 says, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They're rowing, but they ain't getting nowhere. Jesus sees them struggling in verse 48. Now this is encouraging. Even when he's on the land and we're out on sea, the Lord sees us in our struggle. He recognizes our needs. But verse 48 is funny. It says about the fourth watch of the night, that's sometimes between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. <laughs> Stop there. Wait, you know, what? Jesus saw them in the wee hours of the morning. They've been out there all night rowing. They're struggling. He sees them. He walks out on the sea, and the text says, he was going to pass him by. While they're struggling, he was going to keep on strolling. That's crazy. Now, I mean this with all reverence and all respect to the Lord and even delight in the Lord. But we need to see this. Jesus just don't be doing what you and I expect he's going to do. 
stuff that seems right to us be completely missing on Jesus' agenda. And his agenda is better. Because they're tripping. They think Jesus is a ghost. They, they, they know what they see is not natural. Uh, they, they, they assign it, though, to the paranormal. They assign it to something supernatural, but they don't, they don't yet recognize Jesus for who he really is. And even today, people would rather uh, credit things to ghosts and the paranormal than they credit things to the Holy Spirit and God and God's work in the world. But this is where we see Jesus as a provider. He provides them comfort. They're afraid. They're so afraid that the text says they cried out. They're scared of this ghost who seems to be walking past him. And as we just saw, Jesus was going to keep on going, but, but he is compassionate and he notices them in their fear and they cry out and he speaks to comfort them. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid in verse 50. Now, there's something about recognizing Jesus that should settle our hearts and our minds. When you recognize Jesus and know he has all power, it should, it should calm you. When you recognize Jesus and know that he loves you with that power, it should assure you. When you recognize Jesus is full of compassion, it should remove our anxiety. When we know the Lord cannot be defeated, it should embolden us in faith. When we see him walking on water, then our fears should sink to the bottom of the lake. It may be that nothing has changed in our situation. We may still be facing dangers of various sorts. We may still be struggling and exhausted, rowing through the difficulty, but just recognizing Jesus for who he is should help us to take heart and not be afraid. This is the point of theology. Theology is not something we have to prove how smart we are. Theology is not something given to us so we can form cliques and tribes. Theology is not a weapon to be used in our politics. Theology is a way of knowing God so well that when life gets hard, we don't trip. We don't freak out. Sound theology helps us to recognize Jesus for who he is, including recognizing the fact that he is our provider. All of our needs are met in him. A lot of our fear, beloved, comes from not taking time to grasp and to remind ourselves of who Jesus, the Son of God, really is. But when we do, when we take time and remind ourselves of the truth about Jesus and recognize who he is, well, we find that he provides us comfort even in dangerous, watery places. Notice something else, the second thing, verse 51. Jesus climbed into the boat with them. He did not wait for their invitation. Jesus took the initiative to join them. They only had enough faith to huddle up in fear with each other. But, but Jesus had enough mercy to approach the frightened disciples. Our, our fear may keep us from Jesus, but don't you know, beloved, your fear cannot keep Jesus from you? The Lord gets right down in the boat with us and with our fears. Now, let me point out that Jesus 
does this despite their lack of understanding and their lack of faith. Jesus joins them not because they are worthy, but solely because he loves them. And Jesus is with us, beloved, not because we are people with perfect faith, not because we have earned his favor in some way, not because we even recognize him the way we should. Jesus is down in the boat with us because that's what he is like. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the one who promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And that's what he provides to us, his presence. He is with us. And there's one more thing to see in this section. That Jesus provides us a light onto our hearts. And once Jesus gets into the boat in verse 51, the winds stop immediately. The winds are like, we, we can't beat Jesus. That's a wrap. We might as well call it. And when the wind stopped, the disciples, notice the text says in verse 51, were utterly astounded. They are rocked by what just happened. But Mark provides an insight for us at the end of verse 52. The reason they were rocked was they didn't understand what they were supposed to understand from the loaves and the fish. They didn't understand that Jesus has all power and provides all our needs. So they panic in the winds and they're shocked when Jesus comes through. Anybody else know what that's like? The Lord teaches us something in one situation, but we don't carry the lesson forward to other situations. So in the new situation, we're dealing with Jesus like he ain't never done nothing for us before. Like he ain't never delivered us from evil. Like he ain't never delivered us from temptation. Like he hasn't ever given us our daily bread. Like he ain't never closed the mouths of our enemies. Like he ain't never forgiven our sins. Like he ain't never made a way out of no way. We leave the previous lesson behind and we start adopting Janet Jackson's theology. What have you done for me lately? We want to know what Jesus is going to do now. Now Mark points out that doing that is actually evidence of a hardened heart. You see that in the verse 52? Their failure to understand the previous lesson left them with a hardened heart toward Jesus. Beloved, nothing is quite as vital in our spiritual lives than that we learn to diagnose our own hearts. That we learn to recognize when our hearts are becoming hard in unbelief. When we hear our hearts saying something like, I know Jesus did one thing, but that's the heart, heart speaking. Or when we say Jesus came through that one time, but that's a hard heart speaking to us. Or, or I know Jesus can do some things, but this thing right here, beloved, that's a hard heart of unbelief speaking. Anytime we mention Jesus and add a but, we need to slow down and inspect our thinking and our hearts. And anytime we can document and recall that Jesus has proven himself as a provider in the past, then, but we are doubting him in a present situation, that's unbelief and a hardened heart against the knowledge of God. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. What he did then, he does now. What he had power to do yesterday, he has power to do today, and will have power to do tomorrow. God ain't changed, but we ain't learned. And that's why he has to keep teaching us the same lessons over and over again. We leak, we forget, we harden our hearts in unbelief. And this is why we need Jesus to provide a light onto our hearts so that we can see what's really happening there. It's the grace of God that provides exposure of our souls. When Jesus provides a light on our hearts, beloved, we have an opportunity to repent and be healed of our unbelief. In what ways, beloved, might we be even now like the disciples in the boat, forgetting what Jesus has done for us and doubting or resisting the call of faith to trust him for our provision? He is a provider. Do we believe that? Jesus provides in desolate wilderness places. Jesus provides in dangerous watery places. Our third point, Jesus provides wherever he is and wherever there is need. That's what we see in verses 53 to 56. They finally reach the other side and come to a place called Gennesaret, verse 53. And once again, the people recognize Jesus and the disciples uh, and so everybody from the whole region runs out to them, and they're bringing people who are sick and on their sickbed. And we can summarize this short paragraph this way, two sentences. Wherever he was, they came, verse 55, and wherever he went, he healed, verse 56. And notice that extraordinary scene in verse 56. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Now, how are we to understand this? There's nothing special about Jesus' garments. He wearing the same old um, Israeli clothing, Jewish clothing, that other people, carpenters, working class people, would have been wearing in his day. His clothing isn't sort of uh, has some special power, shouldn't be collected as a, as a relic. We should not be attaching superstition, superstition to such things. I think a better way to understand this is the way the Apostle John did in John chapter 1, verse 4, when he writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or perhaps to understand this the way the Apostle Paul understood this, when he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, about our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, these people receive life because Jesus is life himself. To brush up against Jesus is to rub up against life. And that's what he provides. Life to everyone who believes in him. Now, not a broken life, riddled with disease and distress. He provides eternal life, an existence without death, without disease, without distress in the kingdom of God. And these healings, remember, are a commercial pointing forward to that final kingdom and what that final kingdom will be like. The word gospel that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 1.10 it's a word that means good news. It is good news that the Son of God, 
came into the world and lived among us and provided for us. In his life of obedience, he provides righteousness for us. In, in his death on the cross, he provides a sacrifice that makes up for our sins. In his resurrection from the grave, he provides eternal life to everyone who believes in him. And in, in his coming a second time to provide us an everlasting home in glory. Wherever Jesus goes, wherever Jesus is preached, wherever Jesus is believed, beloved, he gives life. Is Jesus your provider? Have you accepted what he offers you in the gospel? Forgiveness, righteousness, adoption, unending life, joy, hope, and glory with him now and forever in his kingdom. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus. Receive the life that only he provides. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do praise you that you are the provider of eternal life and the provider of all we need. Help our hearts, Lord, trust you and turn to you as our one true and greatest provider, we pray. And it's in your name that we offer this. Amen.